Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Australia, Chile, and China are the top three sources of the world's lithium, an element essential to building the batteries for electric vehicles. But that could soon change as mining operations begin in California. Imperial Valley contains enough lithium to meet all our nation's future demand and more than a third of global demand. Governor Newsom described it as one of the greatest economic opportunities for California of a lifetime. We learn more about the lithium gold rush happening near the Salton Sea and its impacts as part of Forum's In Transit series. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Electric vehicle batteries rely crucially on lithium, an element that right now the U.S. sources from abroad. But that could change in just a few years as the area around the Salton Sea in California's Imperial Valley gears up to become a leading source of the mineral. Experts say reserves there are so large that it could meet all future U.S. demand. Demand that's growing as California requires new cars and trucks sold here to be zero emission by 2035. Joining me now is our partner for our In Transit series, Ethan Alkind, host of the podcast Climate Break and director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. Ethan, always so glad to have you. Hi, Mina. Great to be back with you. Yeah, people are calling Imperial Valley Lithium Valley. They're saying there's this feel of a lithium gold rush going on. How much has California's ban on new gas-powered cars and trucks being sold here driven up demand for EVs? Well, California's policies really have been one of the key factors why we're seeing a global revolution in electric vehicle battery sales and a transition of this really pretty massive market around the world. To think that we're going from internal combustion engines to battery electric vehicles, it's really a massive technological shift. California's policies have been a leader, but it's not just California. We've seen the European Union really step up on this, and China has invested dramatically in the infrastructure for battery production and for electric vehicles vehicle uh, mandates as well. So it's uh, it's definitely been a global effort, but California is at the lead here. And we're also really leading the United States in sales. We have about 20% of our new car sales right now are plug-in electric vehicles or all battery electric vehicles. And that's compared to 10% of sales globally. And I'd also just point out that China right now is about 25%. So demand is really booming. And I think that is now leading this gold rush, as you just described it, for all the minerals that we need for 
for the batteries with lithium being one of the key components. And that's part of what's driving all this interest in Lithium Valley, as you as you say, that's now being called in the Imperial Valley of uh, Southern California. So, Ethan, why is lithium such a great material for electric vehicle batteries? Well, it's very energy dense. And so, you know, for those chemistry majors out there, remember their periodic uh, table it's uh, it's it's on it's one of the key elements and it's it's just very energy dense so it allows you to pack a lot of power in a small battery pack and you know we're also using batteries to support the electrical grid as well but we don't necessarily need lithium for those batteries because when it's a stationary battery you can you're not really size constrained you can have a pretty big box for the battery to support the electricity grid but when you're talking about a vehicle it's really important to get as much power out of the smallest sort of footprint of the battery as possible and and that's why lithium is so desirable. Uh, there are some other chemistries we could talk about, you know, perhaps later in the show, but that's why lithium has really been the leader here. And, you know, it's not just electric vehicle batteries. It's also in our laptops and yep. our phones. It's the same principle that uh, that it's a lot of power in a small footprint. Well, I'd like to introduce Assemblymember Eduardo Garcia, who represents the Imperial Valley. Assemblymember Garcia, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for the invitation. So as I mentioned to Ethan, it's being called a bit of a lithium gold rush down there that's been set off in the Imperial Valley. Can you just give us a sense of if that's what it feels like to you and and what companies are coming in and, and what they're doing? Well, what we're seeing is the technology that's been utilized uh, to produce clean, reliable energy since the 1980s, taking that technology a step further and recognizing that there's an opportunity to utilize the brine coming out of the geothermal process to recover a handful of different minerals, lithium being one of them. And this has been uh, a research and development process uh, for several years now that is now uh, demonstrated to be uh, the go-to uh, for purposes of supplying not just the United States uh, lithium needs, but six times the amount uh, is being estimated for the entire global demand. So you can imagine that there are tremendous amount of individuals coming to the region, uh, talking to our leaders, talking to the community, and really making commitments to try to transform uh, the way the Imperial County has historically uh, led when it comes to environmental issues, as well as economic issues. And so this is a unique opportunity for the Imperial Valley, California, the United States to play a global role when it comes to lithium battery manufacturing and really being at the forefront of what are um, our ambitious climate and renewable energy goals, uh, not just in our state, but for our nation. Yeah, that's why you are such an advocate and have been a longtime advocate of these mining operations. But how do the surrounding communities, the communities in Lithium Valley, quote unquote, how do they stand to benefit from this? What, what impacts could well, they see? Well, we've set up a structure of a tax revenue that 100% would be reinvested back into the community. We set up a commission about two years ago to be able to deliberate all of the questions, comments, concerns that a community could raise as they enter into a phase. And I want to be very clear, there isn't any mining taking place here. Um, I use the word recover because we are recovering the lithium through a process of technology added to the geothermal development uh, for energy. So it's important that we use the right terminology to describe exactly what's going on in the region. And we are recovering minerals, lithium being one of them, as a result of geothermal energy production. 
the community has raised a lot of questions and concerns throughout the uh, Lithium Valley Commission hearings, uh, but they've also given us the marching orders, a set of recommendations that the state of California has adopted in policy and investments, along with additional uh, points of concern to make sure that there's ongoing monitoring when it comes to the use of water, the impacts to air. Now, one of the things that I can tell you is this could be the greenest way to recover lithium in the entire world, but that's not going to push us to ignore what the community and other potential environmental implications could be. So we are uh, moving side by side as it relates to the planning processes to develop lithium um, recovery uh, efforts, but at the same time continuing to monitor what could potentially be uh, minimal uh, environmental impacts to the region. It's been described, the area around the Salton Sea, as an area that's struggled, that has been impoverished. Can you describe the Imperial Valley Forest as someone who has lived and had family there? Imperial Valley is a culturally rich part of the state of California that produces 90% of our food during the winter time. It is a community that is adjacent to the border, the capital city of Baja California, which is Mexicali, that has 1.1 million people. Uh, but it's an area that has struggled economically. Uh, unemployment rates as high as 30% and today sitting at a 16% unemployment when the state of California is doing quite well uh, when it comes to uh, its economy and its unemployment rate. Uh, it's an area that has been plagued by a number of different environmental and public health issues, currently dealing with a public health crisis as it relates to access to health care, but always has struggled as it relates to quality of air and problems related to respiratory disease, all also exacerbated by a large body of water, the Salton Sea, that has been shrinking over the course of some time. The state of California has assumed liability and responsibility to mitigate those impacts. There are currently a $220 million project of eco-habitat restoration and another $400 million lined up for investment to go towards those projects. Lithium coming to town not only will create an opportunity to develop an ecosystem around the lithium battery manufacturing scene, but it will also create a better quality of life for folks. When we talk about 80%, of the 100% tax revenue collected by the state going back to the community, we are hoping and we are looking to the leadership on the ground to engage the community to prioritize how those investments are made to truly transform and improve the quality of life for the people of Salton Sea. We're excited about this opportunity, but we'd be remiss if we just said, this is the golden egg that's going to be the savior to all of our problems. There's a lot of work to be done still, and I can tell you that it's happening in collaboration with the community and our leadership of the region. And we're excited. You know, we're excited about this opportunity that is in front of us. In addition to tax revenue, will there be jobs going to community members from this? A high number of jobs? The, the jobs are uh, centered around the people who live in Imperial County, working closely with our partners, uh, not only in the labor community, but from our K-12 and our community college institutions. We are working together to ensure that there's a framework of jobs that go directly to the people of Imperial County first. And everyone agrees that that is a high priority for us in this effort. How soon will the lithium that is extracted become commercially available? How soon do you see 
basically the initial efforts right now to establish plants and so on and to build on the technologies of the geothermal, existing geothermal plants there, actually getting lithium ready for commercial use? Well, there are 11 geothermal plants that are already uh, in place producing energy for the region and, and places outside. Uh, just this past Friday, uh, myself and 10 other colleagues from the State Assembly uh, got a tour uh, with some of the uh, developers and community leaders, as well as uh, uh, stakeholders that are from the outside auto industry uh, uh, representatives to talk about how important this process is and that we are approximately a year plus away from seeing a commercial scale of lithium coming from California, and in this case specifically, coming from Imperial County. Wow. Assemblymember Eduardo Garcia, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for the invitation. It's always great to be able to highlight the things that are happening in our district, but really the intersection between California's goals and ambitious uh, targets for clean energy and clean vehicles that tie into the national agenda that is before us. So thank you again for the invitation. Assemblymember Eduardo Garcia represents California's 36th State Assembly District in Imperial County. And we're also talking with Ethan Elkine, Director of the Climate Break Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. And we're talking with you, our listeners. What do you think? Does the fact that California is extracting lithium excite you? Or does it raise questions for you or cause any concerns? Maybe it raises some some thoughts that you would like to share at 866-733-6786 by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. If you live in the region, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, 866-733-6786, the number. We're talking about lithium extraction in California's Imperial Valley. Governor Newsom says the region is on track to become one of the leading global sources of the mineral that powers batteries for electric vehicles. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about lithium extraction in California's Imperial Valley this hour. We're joined by Ethan Elkine, director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley, our partner in Forum's In Transit series. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation with your questions about lithium extraction in California and how you feel about California mining lithium. Does it excite you, raise questions for you? Do you live near Lithium Valley and have questions about the operations or the impact on the local economy or environment? Maybe you have questions about electric vehicle batteries and how they're produced and sourced, their environmental impact. Email forum at kqed.org. Post your thoughts on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter at KQED Forum or call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And Ethan, I do have questions based on what Assemblymember Garcia was saying just about what that process is. He It's been described as clean technology, less harmful to the environment than lithium mining in other nations. Can you describe it for us? Yeah, well, I think he is correct that if if this process can work and we still have some questions around the economics of it and the environmental impacts, and I think the assembly member referenced that, it it could potentially be a lot cleaner than the current methods of lithium mining. And there are basically two ways that lithium is currently mined. And the first is these big salars, these sort of dry lake beds that we see in places like South America, where lithium-rich briny water is pumped to the surface and then over a year or two evaporate. And then the lithium is extracted from that. But it takes up a lot of land, a lot of water. uh, And so there's a lot of controversies in some of those communities and places like Chile around that type of mining. And then the second type is this hard rock deposits that contain lithium. And that's very environmentally destructive to, to mine lithium that way. It requires blasting the rocks and then using sulfuric acid in some cases to leach the lithium out. A lot of energy and water goes into that. It's a large land footprint. And actually an example of this relatively close to us here in California is uh, Thacker Pass, a proposed mine in Nevada. And uh, actually, western Nevada has a lot of lithium. So I think we're going to be seeing more proposals like this. But this would be an open pit mine, about a half mile by two miles wide, 300 feet deep, could produce about enough lithium to power about 1 million electric vehicles per year. So that gives you some sense of the scale here. But in contrast, this lithium valley would basically be skimming lithium out of water that's already pulled out of the ground to create geothermal energy. So it's actually kind of an environmental twofer. You've already got the geothermal energy, which is carbon-free, that electricity being produced from the steam, but then you can get the lithium out of it. So if all goes well, this could be a much more environmentally sustainable way to produce lithium and potentially more economically sustainable, too, because you have that additional value stream of the geothermal energy that's being harnessed as well. Well, Greg writes, on the one hand, it sounds wonderful, but the representative from Imperial County describes the lithium extraction as recovery, not mining. He also related it to geothermal plants. How is the landscape altered by the process. Are environmentalists happy with this lithium extraction? Any more to say about how the landscape is altered or how environmentalists are feeling? Has it gotten pushback from environmental groups? Well, I I have not heard about any organized opposition. I think it's sort of a wait and see right now. And, you know, this issue in general kind of splits the environmental community. You've got those who are sort of climate hawks and want to see deployment of clean technology as quickly as possible. And then those environmental groups that have really been focused on the local ecological, you know, impacts from mining. So endangered species advocates and, and local communities that are concerned about, you know, water and air pollution. And so with Lithium Valley, I don't, the footprint will be, should be a lot 
smaller than what we see with any of these other those other two types of lithium mining that I talked about. We already have the geothermal wells, and so I don't anticipate a, a very large footprint. I think it's the wait and see attitude is mostly from the frontline communities trying to figure out what the air pollution and potential water pollution impacts might be from the lithium valley mining, and that's a little bit TBD right now because we don't really know the exact processes. But I think there is a lot of promise that this could be much less environmentally damaging to local communities. What we've seen with those other other uh, lithium mining processes. Right. I saw the water stat that for every ton of lithium produced, some 50,000 gallons of water will be needed. And we know that water is uh, a resource that is very precious to us here and, Mm -hmm. and not necessarily the most reliable year after year. Do you also just want to talk briefly about what folks see as the benefit of not relying on nations like Australia, China, and Chile for our lithium supply? Yeah, well, I think your your point earlier about the gold rush here, I think for a lot of people, you know, electric vehicles in the early days were just kind of fanciful and, you know, for people who maybe, uh, you know, granola eating types who just care about the environment but don't really care about jobs. And everything is really flipped now because there is so much economic uh, benefits that can happen from harnessing this, this mineral supply chain, really broader than lithium, but certainly lithium is the key one. And I think for the United States, there's a, a real feeling that this is going to create a lot of jobs. You heard the assembly member talk about that, which means a lot of rural areas that have been really left behind from the economic growth in the United States now have a chance to benefit tremendously from some of the supply chain jobs, including the mining that could come about. So there's an interest in that economic productivity. There's also an interest in having more reliability of the supply chain. The more we're relying on overseas actors to provide our lithium, the more dependent we are on foreign countries and their policies. And when you're talking about countries like China that have really managed to monopolize a lot of the electric vehicle battery supply chain, that creates some national security risks as well as just general supply reliability risks. And then there's also the environmental efficiency argument too. So it doesn't really make sense, for example, to be mining for raw material in a place like California, shipping it overseas for processing, and then shipping it back for the battery manufacturing. That's just a a lot of energy inefficiency and economic inefficiency. So I think for all those reasons, we want to see the supply chain located domestically as close to consumers as possible. Well, let me go to caller Alette in San Bernardino County. Hi, Alette. You're on. Hi there. Uh, So the interviewees talked about uh, the high unemployment rate in Imperial Valley um, and potential economic factors. Has the city considered imposing job requirements on the companies that do the mining where they have to hire a certain amount of uh, residents in Imperial County Hmm. to boost the economy? Thanks, Alette. Imposing requirements in terms of how many people they hire from the community? Yeah, well, the assembly member references commission that was formed, and the, this is one of the issues that the commission has been looking at to make sure that those jobs are locally sourced, that local community members are not just getting the impacts of the project, but getting the benefits as well. And also, I, I believe the assembly member mentioned as well that the state has passed a lithium production tax that is supposed to benefit local communities as well. But in terms of a hard and fast job requirement, I'm I'm not yet sure if they've arrived at that. I think that commission work is is still ongoing to some extent. But I can tell you there's a lot of local labor leaders in the Imperial Valley that are very excited about this project and see 
a, a lot of potential for some good you know, union type jobs that pay well and that provide those benefits to the local economy. Because it is otherwise, you know, as referenced, a very impoverished part of the state and very dependent on agriculture, which is you know often a very low paying jobs for those farm workers. Thanks for the call, Alette. Eric writes, does increased lithium recovery also mean more geothermal power generation too? And if so, how much? Yeah, absolutely. That That's one of the benefits of this uh, project, potentially, that we already have, I believe it's about 400 megawatts of uh, geothermal electricity that's produced from the Imperial Valley. And the plans are to double that with this lithium extraction. So you're potentially seeing with these two revenue streams that, you know, one hand is sort of scratching each other's back, so to speak, if I'm getting that expression right. But the bottom line is that it should make the geothermal energy much more economic, as well as the lithium extraction more economic as well. You know, again, this is all TBD because this is not yet online, but the plans are to get some of these uh, lithium extraction facilities operational as soon as next year. And we should see some plans about what they really uh, intend to do with this process uh, sooner than that as well. But absolutely, I think it should help scale up both clean, carbon-free geothermal electricity production and the lithium extraction. We're talking about lithium, and Governor Newsom says the region is on track to become one of the leading global sources of the mineral that powers batteries for electric vehicles. This is California's Imperial Valley. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions or comments about the potential or the potential downsides. Email forum at kqed.org. Call us at 866-733-6786 or post questions on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum if you have them. I do have to ask, it's not just lithium that goes into electric vehicle batteries, right, Ethan? There's also cobalt and nickel. So what do we need to understand about how and where those are sourced and extracted and and what increased uh, increased extraction of lithium will do in those industries? Yeah, it's a really important question. And in fact, some people think there's almost too much attention on lithium because some of these other minerals that go into the batteries are facing some shortages or there may be other uh, more exciting economic opportunities even beyond lithium for local economic development. So absolutely, in terms of the the battery, uh, the chemistry and the minerals involved, so lithium, of course, but then cobalt, nickel, uh, there's manganese, graphite, uh, plus copper is involved. And these come from places all over the world. Some of them are more concentrated geographically than others. So, uh, for example, cobalt, it, most of it comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo or DRC, uh, located in, uh, in in basically Central Africa. Uh, and that they really have vast majority of the market share for cobalt. Nickel is also located in just a few spots, uh, primarily the Indonesia in Indonesia and the Philippines, but also Russia, which has created a problem in the nickel market with Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the sort of freeze on uh, Russian uh, exports coming out of that conflict. But actually, the U.S. has some nickel mines as well. Lithium is much more widespread, though. I mean, you mentioned earlier it's in Australia and China, but it's also in South America. We have a lot here. There's potential some in Europe as well. And I'll also just mention graphite as well, which is actually one of the uh, major by weight uh, minerals in the in the battery, in the electric vehicle battery. And and there's about 70 mines all across the globe and, and two located here in the United States. So all of these minerals have different ge- geographic profiles. Uh, and, and it's also changing. The chemistry is changing as well. Yeah, I mean, we have heard about issues, especially related to cobalt mining and the impacts that they've had there, are there any efforts to move away from batteries that require cobalt, for example, or even nickel, or things that are more reliant on lithium than anything else? 
Yeah, in fact, the, the latest chemistries have been phasing out cobalt and nickel almost entirely. And so that's a new type of chemistry called the lithium iron phosphate battery. And that was really put in place because of these concerns around cobalt, not just the human rights concerns, as we see a, a lot of child labor and some of these unregulated mines in the Congo, uh, but also just in terms of the supply crunch when you have so much of these minerals concentrated in one place. So that's phasing out cobalt and nickel makes a battery a little bit cheaper. There are some trade-offs in terms of how much energy can be packed into the battery, but it's an example of how the market is responding to supply shortages and the supply chain challenges around the world. Well, let me go to caller Anna in San Francisco. Hi, Anna. You're on. Hi. I um, noticed that there wasn't really discussion about what happens to the batteries after they're spent. Um, aren't they a toxic liability? And isn't there kind of no way to remediate them? Uh, great question, Anna. Yeah, there are a lot of concerns about when the battery's life is over, what about battery disposal, Ethan? We've been hearing that it's not so environmentally great, and it carries some environmental risks. Yeah, it's a great question from Anna. And I actually think this is an area of opportunity for batteries because you can recycle uh, so much of the battery and pull back out those minerals that went in. And so this is an opportunity to reduce demand for new mining. So some of the estimates I've seen is that we could potentially get 25% of our supply of these minerals from recycled batteries. Uh, but it's not going to happen automatically. And so it's going to take some policy support to make sure that we actually have all these batteries recycled. I mean, one of the concerns, for example, is that used EVs might end up in developing world countries, just as right now a lot of used gas cars are. And then once they're off in these developing world countries, who knows what happens when the batteries finally you know, really lose their capacity? Or do we have any assurance that those countries are going to have the processes and facilities to recycle the batteries? But otherwise, there's a lot of federal support right now it just came out of the Inflation Reduction Act and the infrastructure law that that passed a couple of years ago to stand up a recycling industry here in the United States. There's some companies in Nevada, for example, that are revolutionizing a lot of the recycling processes. And I should also just mention that we don't want to just recycle the batteries. We also want to reuse them. In a lot of cases, these batteries may not have enough capacity for driving, but they're still good for stationary energy storage. And so we should be pursuing that as well. Well, Beth wants to know if there are any plans for battery recycling plants in the Imperial Valley. Am I hearing right that you're saying that that it's going to be a long time because essentially there aren't enough electric vehicle batteries <laughs> to actually make a recycling plant viable at this point? Yeah, it's kind of a good problem to have. The batteries are lasting longer than we expected. You know, you think about the early teens of this past decade when the initial Nissan Leaf and uh, General GM's uh, Bolt and Volt and the early Teslas were coming out. And people thought, well, maybe the batteries will last eight to 10 years. And certainly in some of these models, we've seen some degradation, but they're basically holding up pretty well. But at some point, we know that these batteries do lose capacity and there is going to start to be a, a trickle and then pretty much a deluge of used batteries batteries coming out of the vehicles as people either retire the vehicles or just swap out and get a new battery replaced in their vehicle, a fresh battery. So that's part of the challenge is that we got to get prepared for that deluge. And it also involves scaling up a whole new 
industry. I mean, that, we're going to have to figure out how we ship the batteries to places that can disassemble the packs, that can repurpose them. We also may need to change, encourage automakers to change how they're designing batteries so it's easier for them to be recycled and replaced and in some cases repaired. So this is something we need to get ahead of now because it's if we don't, it's going to hit us when uh, we're not quite prepared and we don't want to lose out on the opportunity for all that recycling and potentially that reuse as well. Let me go to caller David in San Jose. Hi, David, you're on. Hi, thank you. Uh, might be slightly off topic, but it's still related in that we're talking about lithium and other metals, but those are the end point of, uh, I guess, where the, where the electricity goes. But what about the metal that actually gets the electricity there, copper? Because for all this is going to need a lot of copper to make the um, engines, you know, transport the electricity long distances, and also relates to solar because we build solar plants, we have to move all that electricity. And so is there enough copper in the world to do all this, you know, and what's the environmental cost? I'm for electrification, but just that's a very important consideration. And thank you very much. Yeah, well, David, thanks. Not just for electrification, but I think you were saying, Ethan, that copper is also a component in the electric vehicle battery itself, right? Absolutely. And uh, David's absolutely right that we need copper, not just for these batteries, but for wind turbines, for transmission lines. And so the estimates are just massive increases in demand for copper yeah. over the next couple of decades. And so we do need to get ahead of this as well. And, you know, I, I would just say a couple of points on this. One is that we do know that the transition to clean technologies writ large, all the technologies I just mentioned, renewable energy, transmission lines, batteries, et cetera, is much more mineral intensive than our current fossil-based uh, energy system. So it's going to require more minerals and mining in general. But from most of the experts that I've uh, been able to sort of track on this, they feel that there there is enough of the sort of raw material supply in the ground right now. So there is a concern about shortages at this point. And that that I, that may change over the next couple of decades as demand for these products and deployment really takes off. But I'd also just point out that we have seen innovation from the end users. And we've seen them, like I was just pointing out with these new lithium phosphate batteries, we've seen them phasing out some of these minerals. So I think we're going to continue to see innovation that will change the demand projection. And I think the market will respond when there are shortages. So it's not something I think really to panic about just yet. It's something to keep an eye on, but we're not quite there yet of worrying about the long-term supply. I think right now, a lot of these companies are just trying to get their short-term supply chain stood up because in some cases, this is a brand new business for them. You're talking about legacy automakers that had their supply chains for gas cars, and now all of a sudden they don't need radiators, carburetors. Now they need you know, lithium and cobalt and other minerals that they've never had to purchase before. We're talking about lithium extraction in California's Imperial Valley and how it's poised to become a leading global source of the mineral that powers batteries for electric vehicles. As demand for electric vehicles goes up, California wants to ban sale of new gas-powered cars and light trucks by 2035. We're talking with Ethan Elkine, director of the Climate Break Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley, also host of the podcast Climate Break. And we're talking with you, our listeners. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about lithium extraction in California. We're hearing about how operations are going, their impacts, hearing about developments in clean battery technology with Ethan Elkind, host of the podcast Climate Break, our partner for Forum's In Transit series and director of the climate program at UC Berkeley School of Law. You, our listeners, are joining the conversation. We want to know, does the fact that California is extracting lithium excite you? Or does it raise questions, cause concern? Do you live near the so-called Lithium Valley and have questions about their impact on the local economy or the environment? These companies that are coming in and expanding the geothermal plant process to extract lithium. What questions do you have about electric vehicle batteries and how they're produced and sourced? Email forum at kqed.org, call us 866-733-6786, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. I see your calls and your comments. Scott writes, It seems like a win-win situation, and if local impacts are considered, I'm all for it. And there are there any security issues involved? I would think that if lithium is the new gold, then there will be people that will try to get it by less than scrupulous methods. Will mines need to be protected? I'm imagining warehouses chock full of processed lithium being guarded like Fort Knox. Also, isn't lithium extremely explosive? Ethan? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, in terms of stealing lithium, I haven't heard about that being the case. I mean, there's lithium right now in our phones and laptops and in electric vehicles. And it's not like what we saw with people stealing copper out of transformers because the prices were so high. Uh, So I don't think we're going to get to that point. Um, Now, potentially some large-scale theft. Who knows? Maybe it's a possible opportunity for organized crime. Uh, But it seems like it would be a a pretty challenging thing. And it's not just the lithium. It's it's got a set up a whole processing uh, phase of, of manufacturing. So uh, not quite sure uh, if that's really a, a risk at this point. Um, in terms of the uh, the flammability issue, you know, we have seen some pretty high profile uh, fires from started by lithium ion batteries. But my understanding of the risks, at least in, in the vehicle context, is that you still see uh, more gas car fires, you know, per X number of vehicles than you do from electric vehicles and lithium ion fires per the same number of vehicles. But, you know, when these lithium ion batteries do catch fire, you know, it it makes the news, whereas a a gas fire is not going to, a gas car fire is not going to make the news. So, you know, I think the automakers and battery manufacturers are, are, you know, really trying to make sure these batteries are safe as possible. At this point now, the technology has been deployed on the roads at a pretty large scale for, you know, over a decade. And uh, I think we, we have pretty good proof here that they're 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 quite safe and uh, the numbers are to be believed safer than than gas cars in terms of fires. Well, let me go to Barbara in San Francisco. Hi, Barbara, you're on. Oh, well, thank you so much. And uh, by the way, I'm delighted about the creation of jobs. We'll, maybe we'll get back our one million in population that we lost. We're at 39 million now instead of 40 million. But one of the main things I'm thinking is that Maybe this will distract people from considering stripping 
the floor of the ocean for lithium. Mm. It's more expensive to extract it from there and would destroy the ecology of the ocean, all the wildlife. Uh, Barbara, thanks. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, deep sea mining and so on, Ethan? Yeah, there have been a couple proposals by some private companies to mine in the deep sea. There are actually these little nodules. I think of them as like little softballs or grapefruits lying on the, the deep sea ocean floor. And they do contain some of these minerals like cobalt. And there has been a proposal. It goes before this international uh, regulatory body that is supposed to develop some rules around it. And so far, they haven't. But I would just note that some of the automakers, a few of the automakers have already come out to say that they will not accept product uh, battery products that include minerals from deep sea mining that it's it, we don't really don't know what the ecological impacts are going to be in the deep sea and i think most people feel like there's enough onshore lithium and other minerals that we don't need to go to deep sea mining just yet but it is something that has already come up as a proposed project so it's definitely something to keep an eye on hmm. let me go to caller greg in palo alto hi greg you're on hello um i'm a little dubious about this for a number of reasons one the, I think it was the Paris COP that said that uh, uh, global uh, emissions had to be cut in half by 2030 in order to stay under the 1.5. Um, it seems to me that there's just a lot of problems here. One is I, I'd like to see more of the details on just exactly how much pollution is going to be created by the project, mining, etc. Secondly, I don't think that uh, 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 automobiles, electric vehicles, are going to be the solution to this. It's surprising to listen to these uh, programs, not just on KQED, but on other public stations where um, uh, public transportation is not given its due. Um, you know, we can't have 400 million electric vehicles. I think that's just pie in the sky. So in large cities, metropolitan areas, they're going to have to develop, uh, you know, uh, forms of uh, uh, transportation that are no longer reliant on... Um, uh, fossil fuels. And uh, um, so I, I'm, I'm just mm. really dubious yeah. about the fact that this is going to result in any kind of a, a real movement towards uh, cutting that uh, greenhouse emission. Greg, thank you. I mean, Greg's got a point there, right, Ethan, in terms of if we're trying to get to zero emission or trying to reduce emissions as much as possible, shouldn't we be focusing our attention on a really robust mass transit system, for example, rather than necessarily uh, in incentivizing driving, even if it is electric vehicle driving. Well, Greg actually raises two important points. Uh, one is that there is an energy footprint associated with electric vehicles and the supply chain, but you have to compare it to the alternative. You know, we have the land use system and transportation infrastructure that we have today. It's not going away overnight. People need to drive in many cases. They're going to want to drive. They can afford to drive. And so the alternative is they're going to get a gas car. And we know that electric vehicles represent a significant savings of greenhouse gas emissions over the gasoline infrastructure and, and or sort of ga gasoline vehicles and the infrastructure to supply the oil and gas. I mean, just here in California, 10% of our greenhouse gas emissions come from just refining the uh, gasoline that goes into our vehicles, let alone what's coming out of the tailpipe. So we have to compare it to what's happening right now. But the larger point Greg makes, I think, is a really important one that the ideal is that people don't have to buy a car and they can take transit or they can walk and bike to where they want to get, uh, get to. And there's actually a really good study done by the Climate and Community Project, a uh, partnership between UC Davis and some researchers like uh, Providence College's uh, Thea Rio Francos, who did a study showing that lithium demand could actually be reduced by up to 92% by mid-century if we decreased 
car dependency, and also right-size the electric vehicle batteries. You know, some of this is about how big the batteries are for these bigger cars that want to go longer ranges. And also if we can scale up that recycling, uh, battery recycling system that we were talking about earlier. So absolutely, we want to scale up transit and walking and biking. The challenge is that those decisions are often made at the local level. It's the cities that determine the use of their streets and investment in transit. And we're going to be relying on countries all over the world to make those same choices when we've seen instead places that are developing rapidly, like China and India, are really building out a lot of car-based infrastructure. And so we have to just grapple with that reality while at the same time encouraging more efficiency in the system through transit and better designed neighborhoods. Well, let me go to caller Dallas next. Hi, Dallas. You're on. Hello. Yeah, I actually want to address the um, the use of fuel cell vehicles and hydrogen. So we've we seem to be... Uh, concentrating on BEVs, battery electric vehicles, and the carbon footprint for mineral extraction and the inefficiency of recycling, uh, regardless of where that technology goes and how good it gets, it just really doesn't make sense where we already have infrastructure to move ammonia around and the production of ammonia has been simplified recently. And so that's an easy way to transport hydrogen. And hydrogen is a a truly renewable resource And I'm not sure why we don't really move in that direction. Fuel cells can also be uh, easily recycled and 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 reused. Uh, So it just doesn't make sense to me to continue down the road of of batteries. That seems to me is like a transitory step transition. Mm. uh, Thanks, Dallas. Ethan, what do you you think relative to hydrogen? Yeah, well, the the state is looking at hydrogen for different types of long-distance transportation, potentially for aviation, potentially for really long-distance, long-haul trucking. But I I think I respect where the caller is coming from, but he's overstating the simplicity of uh, of hydrogen because right now hydrogen is produced from fossil fuels, and switching that hydrogen production to renewable energy is going to be very complicated, assuming we have extra clean renewable energy to produce that hydrogen. So right off the bat, hydrogen has a large carbon footprint because of how it's produced in the United States. And then when it's used in a fuel cell, you lose a lot of efficiency. It's not Batteries are about 80 to 90% efficient. So hydrogen, you're also losing a lot of efficiency once you actually have it in the fuel cell. And then on top of that, to build the infrastructure, the pipelines for hydrogen, it requires retrofitting a lot of our current pipelines. Hydrogen is a very uh, light gas. It escapes easily. It leaks a lot. So there's a lot of economic and logistical questions around it. It would require a whole new build out. And meanwhile, we've seen battery prices absolutely plummet over the last decade and mass adoption of battery electric vehicles. So I really think for most of our transportation needs, batteries are here to stay. There may be some changes around the chemistries in those batteries, but it's really hard to see hydrogen for anything but a few kind of niche cases of transportation and potentially some industrial uses. Well, Michael tweets, the Salton Sea is apparently drying up. Will that help or hurt lithium extraction? Well, the water question is is really important. You know, we talked earlier about how uh, this potentially could be very water intensive to yes. extract the lithium from the brine, and that means potentially a cutting into the water that might otherwise go to agriculture in the Lithium Valley, which is the other big economic activity there. So, uh, the Salton Sea drying up, I, I won't directly impact it, although potentially it could be a way to replenish the Salton Sea if the water is clean and can be then added to the Salton Sea. I think the bigger issue with the Salton Sea drying up is that it's creating a lot of toxics as the dust. From 
from the dried shores is blowing up and uh, blowing around in the wind and then and, and carrying with it a lot of uh, different chemicals. So uh, I don't think that should have a direct impact on the lithium uh, extraction, but it is a question mark about the water use in general. Yeah, and Shirley has a question about the Salton Sea and in terms of mining lithium is fine, Shirley writes, but are there serious plans to put funding toward remediating the evaporation and toxicity? Well, that's the question. And I think that's where any taxation of the lithium process could go into remediation. And, you know, this is something that we need to do on a national scale anyways. We have a mining law in the United States from 1872. I mean, it's literally 150 years old. And the royalty rates and public lands, uh, mining and federal public lands is basically nothing. And one of the proposals from mining reform advocates is to boost the, the royalties that the United States government would take from those mines to help pay for things like remediation and cleanup, because right now we have a ton of abandoned mines because there's no requirement on those mining companies to to do that remediation. And there's no money for the government to come in and do that as well. So this is a, a really a national problem that requires national reform. You know, it's hard to expect much positive coming out of Congress these days, but that is an area where we really do need Congress to step in and act. We're talking with Ethan Elkind, director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. We're talking about California and the prospect of lithium extraction here from California's Imperial Valley and what it could mean for the Imperial Valley and also for the state of California. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, Lindsay writes, as a California resident who wants to drive an EV and make my home more sustainable with solar panels but can't afford to do so for a while, do you think California extracting lithium would help influence the government to provide more financial incentives to buy EVs? I think it, it will. I mean, first of all, California is already relatively generous with financial incentives. We talked at the beginning of the program around the mandate for all new vehicles by 2035 to be electric. But we also have pretty robust uh, rebate programs. We have federal tax credits through the Inflation Reduction Act that just got extended. And we're trying to target those more low-income drivers in particular, because that money goes a lot farther for them in terms of making the decision to buy electric or not than it would for a higher-income individual. But I think the larger sort of political play here that I think the Biden administration in particular is uh, is emphasizing is that if you can build up a, a serious amount of jobs dependent on the electric vehicle supply chain, that means these battery factories that are going into places like Georgia, these otherwise red states that have been conservative and generally hostile to climate policies. If you have industries and jobs now dependent on the supply chain, that's going to build up the political support to keep these policies going and expand them in many cases. So absolutely. And, and we've seen that in the renewable energy context here in, in California. You know, with the renewable energy build out, these large-scale solar facilities, for example, even in really conservative counties in California, so many jobs and companies making money and and making their livelihoods off it, that we have bipartisan support for renewable energy. And I think you're going to see that with electric vehicle policies. You're actually starting to see that already. The governor of Georgia, for example, is a conservative Republican, is all in on electric vehicles. And it's because now there are a lot of jobs in Georgia that related to the supply chain. Well, Kevin writes, some of the world's largest battery makers are this year starting mass production of sodium batteries. They need no lithium and much less of the other rare stuff. Lithium demand should soon be going down, not up. In turn, folks worried about lithium issues can relax a bit. Hmm, what's the latest on sodium ion 
batteries. Yeah, it is a pretty interesting, uh, potentially very promising development. China has a, their large battery company, CATL, has now developed a sodium battery that it could potentially be a lot cheaper than a lithium battery and potentially have a, a decent amount of uh, energy capacity too. So we don't really know quite yet um, if it's really viable, what the economics are, but I think so far some early returns look pretty promising. So, you know, I, I don't think anyone is necessarily abandoning lithium right now. I think there's still a role for lithium and lithium still is more energy dense. So you can get uh, more range out of a smaller battery than you could with sodium, but it's an interesting breakthrough. And again, a points to how the market is really innovating here. And we're really at the early days of understanding what the ultimate products and mineral demand is likely to be. Well, the listener writes, what are the possibilities of extracting lithium from the brine produced through desalination? That's a good question. You know, I think uh, I, I I haven't heard that so so much as a proposed project. We do have some desalination plants here in California, but if it's briny water, it could happen. I just don't know if the seawater has lithium the same way that we've seen with these you know, really former lake beds. That's why you're seeing Western Nevada with so much lithium. These are old lakes from the Ice Age era that have dried up and with salty, uh, you know, very briny, lithium-rich water. I don't know if that's true with seawater as much. As we're talking about the extraction of lithium, the processes that are being used around the manufacturing of electric vehicle batteries, lithium mining in other countries, the human rights issues that are being um, being asked in terms of whether or not they're being violated in some of these instances when we're trying to get these rare minerals. When we also just think about battery disposal or recycling and so on. Can you say for sure, Ethan, that electric vehicles are still ultimately more environmentally and climate friendly than gas powered cars? From a climate perspective, absolutely. Um, now, they do take more energy to manufacture, but once you've driven a, anywhere from maybe ten to 15,000 miles on average, you're you basically made up for that energy footprint because it's so efficient to operate them. You know, 30 to 90% greenhouse gas reduction over a gas vehicle per kilometer of driving. So it's absolutely better from a climate perspective. Of course, the, the, the ideal being what we already described earlier, not needing to own a car at all. Um, but uh, there are the concerns around the local uh, environmental impacts. And that's why we need global reform. You know, we could put strong laws in place in the United States, but then companies can simply go to jurisdictions that don't have strong protections. And I would just flag for listeners that there is an initiative called the Initiative for Responsible Mining Assurance, or IRMA. That's a voluntary industry standard that a lot of mining advocates have signed on to. And it's a way to create some standards in the absence of you know global uh, requirements and global laws, although the European Union is also moving to require sustainability, uh, that, that companies are pledging to hold to, require more transparency on their supply chain. And there are a number of automakers that have signed up, Volkswagen, Tesla, GM, Ford, Mercedes, BMW. So I think we're going to see more voluntary standards and we're going to need ultimately global reform on our, our mining practices to make sure it's truly sustainable. Ethan Elkind, our partner for our Forums in Transit series. Thanks as always. Thank you, Mina. He hosts the podcast Climate Break, if you want to hear him there as well, and is director of the Climate Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. Thank you, listeners, for all of your interesting questions. Always very insightful. My thanks to Susie Britton for producing today's segment. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, 
the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.